Telluride Science, it's science straight up. It's like a, a pot of soup. We put all the ingredients and we hope at the end of the day we make one compound high yield that it's going to solve huge problems. And we'll talk about that. Solving big problems with small things. Microscopic metal organic frameworks, or MOFs, that chemists can develop to clean up pollutants and poisons. I'm Judy Muller. And I'm George Lewis. Each spring and summer, scientists from all over the world gather for a series of workshops put on by Telluride Science. The experts share their insights with the community in a series of town talks. We were fortunate this time to hear from chemist Omar Farha of Northwestern University. His personal story is a classic, the immigrant who overcomes big obstacles and accomplishes great things. We usually moderate these sessions live, but we were out of town, and we want to thank Laura Colbert of the Wilkinson Public Library for filling in. Tonight's talk is Solving Big Problems with Small Things with Dr. Omar K. Farha, who tells me that that means happy. So, we refer to you as Dr. Happy this evening. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Dr. Farha is the... Charles E. and Emma H. Morrison Professor in Chemistry at Northwestern University, an executive editor for ACS Applied Materials and Interfaces, and president of NUMAT Technologies. Dr. Farha. Thank you very much for a, a super generous introduction, and thank you all for taking the evening to listen to me instead of enjoying the weather outside. I was born and raised in the Middle East, in West Bank, Palestine. I grew up in a family of nine siblings, poor family. My dad is a farmer. My mom was needed to take care of nine kids. My dad had a second grade education. My mom could not even read or write. So after high school, however, even though I, was, I had a top grades, I applied to about 13, 14 universities in the Middle East. And guess what? I was rejected from every single one of them after high school. I think I, I grew up during, um, I'm not sure a lot of people familiar with that or not, uh, during the first what we called Intifada, which is when, you know, it's like almost a war zone. And, uh, to, you know, I don't know how to say it more bluntly than that. I did not want to be killed and I did not want to kill anyone. So I just wanted to get the hell out of there. His family managed to scrape together enough money to send their son to America to get a college education. People take a lot of, you know, some of the opportunities in this country for granted, and thank goodness I, I didn't. But because I couldn't afford to go to a four-year degree university, I went to, I'm a community college product, which is I'm very proud of. Went to Fullerton College, very affordable. As I started, you know, cleaning, you know, I was a busboy at Denny's. Uh, uh, and then when I was uh, promoted to a server, I was able to pay for my tuition really easily, just from the tips, and that was, wow, I could pay for you know, my uh, tuition. But after that, the good news, I went to UCLA to continue my bachelor. I stayed there for my PhD, then I went to Northwestern University for my postdoc, and then I was hired as a faculty member and being a colleague of some of you know Nobel Prize winners is is not is something I don't take ever for granted. Now his work centers on those metal organic frameworks that can be used for vital cleanup work. 
Dr. Farha refers to them as nano-sized smart sponges. Their task? To be able to detoxify some of the most toxic chemicals known to humanity. These materials, we wanted to capture chemicals. Some things, we want to store them for good reasons, and others we want to store and deactivate, such as the toxic chemicals. Dr. Farha and his colleagues from Northwestern University have teamed up with the Pentagon to develop military uniforms that can be used in chemical warfare. The fabric in these uniforms is coated with stuff that not only absorbs the poison, but also renders it non-toxic. A month ago, they actually field tested these garments. Dr. Farha is part of a startup company called Numat that secured a $9 million contract with the Pentagon and is ramping up production of these tiny smart sponges. We have about more than 85 full-time employees, and we are excited that actually in December of this year, we will be moving to our own headquarters in Humboldt Park, uh, west side of Chicago, uh, to do more of that and actually increase the scale from a metric ton per reaction. Why not? Why can't it be 10 metric tons? Why? It's just that the, the tools, how big is your soup pot? That's how much you could make. So we need to go larger and larger to be able to do that. Besides the Pentagon, the outdoor apparel company Patagonia has some skin in Dr. Farha's game. First of all, Patagonia is also one of the investors for new, uh, at Numat Technologies. Uh, and second, uh, when we applied for this contract, you need to know, you know, Numat, we are a company that we cannot, we're not a textile company. Uh, we don't, you know, just stitching garments, that's, that's, a, that's an art. So we needed to work with a New Zealand-based company it's called, uh, you know, uh, Fibers, uh, Panagonia, to be able to uh, put these um, materials together and stitch them, Numat be able to make these rolls. Uh, as you could see, these are complex uh, materials to make, but once you know how to make them, become easy. But you need to have the right team members to be able to work on it and do it properly. Another thing they're working on is a protective neck sleeve, a gaiter, that in the event of a poison gas attack could be pulled up to cover the face. You know those masks that it looked like you wear it on your neck and then you could put it on your face? Yeah. They are uh, working on something similar to that instead of the big mask, because if you are just uh, suddenly you don't have your gear with you yeah. and you are somewhere and you get the siren, you need to be able to put something very quick. That one, uh, the Department of Defense think, can be actually uh, used in the civilian market a lot faster than in, than in everything else. So it's not a crazy idea. Something else the Pentagon's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, is looking at is whether these smart programmable sponges might be used to pull moisture out of the air to provide drinking water for soldiers. That could eventually benefit civilians. Soldiers who are special forces, uh, can they have a small gadget that they wear like a book bag that it be able to give them four to five liters a day without having to, you know, carry the water with them? And they could be somewhere for a week not needing water to be delivered. Uh, I learned this last week uh, that there is more people lose their their lives uh, delivering water to the front lines than people in the front lines. Because when you go in with these tankers, 
back and forth, you already out in the open. Versus if you are in the front line, you know what you're supposed to be doing. So, but we're doing that for, as I said, there is many people working on this problem because it's a hard problem around the world. And I hope many groups will succeed because we need it, especially the water issue. Because in the next, by 2040, there is about, will be close to 38 countries. They will have issues with water and droughts. And another big problem, all that CO2 we're pumping into the atmosphere. Dr. Farha believes his materials could help with that too, but it's going to require massively scaling up production. If you want to go after the capturing CO2 and capturing water, you need hundreds of thousands of metric tons. But I don't see a sh there is a showstopper right now why we cannot do that. If uh, it's always the chicken or, uh, or the egg, Big companies, they want to see people scale things up before they adapt it, but somebody has to pay for it first. So uh, we are right now in that middle area. Who is willing to pay for building large facilities to produce these materials at that large scale? Uh, as a Numat Technologies, BASF, and other companies already showing that there is no good reason why we can't scale up these materials. If you hire the right people, not somebody like me who's a chemist. You need the chemical engineers. You, have, you need the mechanical engineers. You need the people who know how to do it. People scaled up activated carbons. They scaled up zeolites. I am a believer that uh, MOFs are very special materials, but they are not special when it comes to scalability. You could scale them the way they did their other cousins. He says we're just beginning to figure out all the potential applications for these materials. The sky is the limit, of, and your imagination is the limit. Where would you use these materials? And there is a lot of people, just in this conference alone, in the last two days, think we heard two new applications that people about a year ago did not think about. We have certain applications that we in, be, were inspired by nature, but now we went even beyond what nature could do. Uh, and I hope I'm not uh, offending anybody by saying that, but that's uh, what I like to do, is learn from nature but go beyond. Question from the audience. What's the state of the art on carbon capture right now? How far along is it? They are already at the process of scaling materials and trying to get demo units in the field. Uh, Aramco is doing something similar, getting demo units in the field. Is not a tomorrow solution by metal organic framework. But is it going to be there within the next five to six years? I hope so. But again, that's going to take the whole field and a lot of chemical companies to working together to get us there. That's not one small company. That's a giant problem. A question about the chemical suits that Dr. Farha's company is making for the Defense Department. If I think about the uh, carbon filter, for example, either on a, on a gas mask or even on the backpacking water filter that I have, there's a lifetime to that particular material. Do you have an estimate of the lifetime of, of, of for example, the garment that, that, that you're thinking uh, of? The, in, under a real attack, the lifetime is one use. Nobody is gonna, that's gonna be burned and incinerated. The, the, the DOD is not gonna ask their special forces to go wash it and reuse it. Dr. Farah, can you explain why these sponges, as you call them, are called metal organic frameworks? Are they made from 
molecules that are a combination of a metal and an, and an organic That's 100% component. correct. That's and, exactly right. And are there specific metals that are used for specific um, agents that you're trying to capture? How, how do you put uh, all that no, together? No, it's, it's one particular metal. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it can be zinc, it can be zirconium, it can be titanium if you want to be very specific. But for other application, yes, the different metals give you different stickiness to some molecules, but not others, give you different stabilities. Uh, you know, we have a whole entire periodic table with a lot of metals. Some are expensive, some are cheap. So you can't go build sponges with gold and platinum and palladium because this is very expensive. But you can if you want to make a tiny sensor that you only needs, need a minutia of a, like a, a, a small amount. But if you need to make thousands and hundreds of thousands of metric tons, then you need, to, you need to use metals that we have plenty of it. They are cheap, so, such as aluminum, titaniums, zincs, those we have plenty of. Uh, so, we, you know, the whole field, that's what we, they think about uh, when you're talking about scalability and commercialization. But if I'm doing something at the basic science regime in my group at Northwestern, price is not an issue. We want to try, we have a question, we want to try to understand the answer regardless how much it costs. Because once you know the answer, you could figure out how to make it cheaper. Um, I'd like to go back to this question of how uh, these structures can have a, a, a universal application in terms of filtering out uh, materials. The, the metaphor of a sponge works because you squeeze the sponge. So you're changing the capillary action, let's say of the sponge, but how do you do it with, with these materials? The, these materials, again, if you have, let's say you have a, a high pressure oxygen cylinder for your scuba diver. You start at high pressure, when you lower the, every time you breathe, the pressure is lowering, and that's how you extract it. The same thing can be applied, just the change in pressure, you could actually remove some of those materials. And if you have a vacuum pump, you could pull vacuum on it, you could, you could heat the sample and release things. So there is, some people actually, they will shine light and release things. So there is more, more than one way to trigger the release versus in a sponge, you have to squeeze it. A squeeze is pressure. We've been listening to Dr. Omar Farha of Northwestern University and Numat Technologies talking about metal organic frameworks, nano-sized sponges that can be programmed to get rid of pollutants and poisons. But before we go, a word from the executive director of Telluride Science, Mark Kozak. Just a couple things. If we're, as an organization, new to you, what we do is we help scientists really come together in a very much a, a think tank kind of atmosphere. And annually, our impact, uh, we help to really scale research productivity. And that impact goes as far as about 1,400 scientists and engineers per year, and annually they represent about 500 international and domestic institutions. So we're proud of ourselves as a mechanism for advancing science and technology. And many of you know we're also uh, in the process of fully renovating the Telluride Depot and transforming it into a science and innovation center. So one of the things that's just cool about that is that the depot, you know, was this hub for 
commerce and people and exporting minerals out of Telluride. And now it's being transformed into a hub to export ideas out in the world. And ideally, I really believe that Telluride the brand should really be about where the smartest people in the world come to find solution to society and the planet's greatest challenges, kind of like the, the Davos of science and innovation. And with this facility, not only will it facilitate that, but it'll also be this great venue for bringing the community and global thought leaders together and sharing ideas and socializing. And we're really looking forward to the day when it's done, which is supposed to be May of next year. And we are in a final push for fundraising. We are accepting checks. And so if you want to be a part of that, that would be awesome. That's it for this edition of Science Straight Up. A big shout-out to Laura Colbert for moderating the session in our absence. It was recorded at the Conference Center in Mountain Village, Colorado, and Dean Raleigh of Dragonfire Productions was our audio engineer. Alpine Bank is a keynote sponsor for Telluride Science, and our venue was made possible through the kind auspices of the Telluride Mountain Village Homeowners Association. Mark Kozak, who you just heard from, is Executive Director of Telluride Science. Cindy Fusting is Executive Manager. Annie Carlson runs donor relations, and Sarah Friedberg is lodging and operations manager. For more information to hear all our podcasts, and if you want to donate to the cause, go to telluridescience.org. I'm Judy Muller. And I'm George Lewis saying, I think you'd look great, Judy, in one of those hazmat gators. Oh, thank you, George. And we invite you to join us next time on Science Straight Up. <laughs>